834, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, special announcement, Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel on April, Wednesday, April 19th. Um, already some of our announced guests include three members of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. We've got uh, Bob Babish and Don Smiley from Summerfest. Governor Scott Walker is going to be one of our headliners. We're also now going to be joined by the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee. Wayne Larrabee will be there to talk about his career and talk about the Packers. Um, if you ever get a chance to listen to Wayne, just Wayne is one of the most interesting and fun guys that you will ever run into. He's got great stories, and we will explore some of those. Your chance to see Wayne Larrabee up close and in person. Country Springs Hotel Insight 2017, Wednesday, April 19th. Tickets are available now. You can go to WTMJ.com. You'll see the icon. It says Insight Jeff Wagner 2017. You can click on that. If it's easier, you can also just text us the word tickets. That's plural, T-I-C-K-E-T-S plural on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line to 414-799-1620 for your opportunity to purchase tickets. We'll be rolling out more announcements of guests over the course of the next several days. But Wayne Larrabee joins the cast Insight 2017. Looking forward to seeing everybody out at the Country Springs Hotel. Tickets are on sale now. All right. We start off this program like we start off every program, a segment I call Three Big Things, things that I think you need to know about to discuss at your workplace or at the gym or wherever. Story number one, controversy swirls around the Milwaukee streetcar. Yes, this project is, in fact, moving ahead. Um, they are looking for an operator, somebody to, to run the streetcar and Milwaukee County Transit System, Milwaukee County has apparently decided that it wants to bid. The same people that give you the bus service want to run the streetcar. The problem is, in Milwaukee County, they have been, no surprise, dragging their feet. And so the bids for the streetcar operation need to be submitted by next week. And apparently the, the county has just decided that, hey, we, we'd like to submit a bid. So there was an effort in front of the Milwaukee Common Council yesterday to try to give, to extend it, push it off for another two months to give the county more time to work on its bid. That effort was shot down overwhelmingly by the Common Council. The county says it's still going to be one of the bidding, they're still going to put in a bid, but now they have to work to get the bid together in the next week. So that's going on with regard to who is going to run the streetcar. But the reality is, Tom's Trolley Folly is going to happen. The materials have already been delivered, or some of them are in the process of being delivered. Early construction is starting. Um, some of the utility lines are starting to be moved. The streets are going to be torn up to put in a 2.1-mile streetcar, which is going to run from, again, the bus depot to the Lower East Side. And the idea is this will be operating, what, in the next year or so. I think everybody involved with this, I think, would agree, if you put them under oath, that at least this initial phase of the streetcar is not going to generate a ton of ridership because it really doesn't go anywhere. But the argument is made that, hey, if we put this in, what's going to happen is that after we get the first part of the infrastructure in, this will give us the ability to expand it. That is why several Milwaukee aldermen voted for it. Even though this does nothing for their district, they were promised, well, don't worry, once we get this first $120 million streetcar in, 
uh, project in, what we're going to do is we're going to be able to expand it. We'll be able to run it to the near south side. We'll be able to run it, you know, past the new Bucks Arena. We'll be able to, I don't know, run it um, out past Marquette. We will continue to expand it because we appreciate that there's not going to be that much ridership. But the reason that will then be the justification. We'll recognize that there's not that much ridership. So what we're going to need is expand it throughout. We're going to say, hey, we need to continue to build more streetcar lines because we need to figure out ways to take it to where people want to go. Now, of course, this is going to cost tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to do this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I continue to believe that 10 years from now, we are going to look at the streetcar line, whether it's the 2.1-mile line or whether it has been expanded to some places, and you're going to look at these things, and they are going to be nothing but what I would describe as air trolleys. That is, trolleys that are running around carrying almost no one. I understand Tom Barrett wants this to be his legacy. I understand that there are builders who want this. I understand that there's some people who live in the immediate downtown area who think, Oh, that would be kind of cool. I walk a block or two. I can hop the trolley. I can go to the Water Street bars, um, and, and then I can come back, and I could go back to my, my home on the Lower East Side and not have to worry about driving. I get for a very small number of people there might be a utility to riding it. But for the general population, if you live almost anywhere in the city of Milwaukee outside the immediate downtown area, um, including, I would say, unless you live east of the river, I don't think you're ever going to practically ride the streetcar. And if you live certainly outside of that immediate area, if you're in some of the exurbs, there's no way you're ever going to ride this. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Construction is getting ready to start. Um, fall of 2018 is when they say it's actually going to be operating. Is this going to be a huge white elephant? I certainly think so. Apparently, the, the trolley is leaving the station. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 840, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Sing, 844, sing, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bucks playoff push has them in Boston tonight against the Eastern Conference leading Celtics. Ted Davis is there. He'll begin our Bucks shots pregame coverage at 610 here on WTMJ. All right, trolley construction getting underway. Bids to see who's going to be the operator have to be in by next week. I continue to believe this is just insanity to watch this all go on. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, what I wanted to make uh, at this point is basically I've got a couple of friends who actually uh, are bus drivers from the uh, city of Milwaukee, and uh, they have told me, and you've talked about this before, at least half, if not more, of the drivers that ride the bus do not pay the the, the, the toll. Right. They do not pay uh, uh, to ride the bus. So that's that's revenue that we're going to lose. And I and they said it's going to be the same thing on the trolley. Most of these people aren't going to pay for the trolley, and uh, the city of Milwaukee is going to basically be in a hole from the get go. And the ridership is not going to pay for this operation of this. Oh, right. No, it, it, there, there's clear right there. And I think they understand that it's, this is going to be operated at a deficit, I guess. And it's going to cannibalize the bus system, too, to the extent that you do take this to places that anybody wants to go. That just means that people are going to be riding the trolley instead of riding the, the bus. Um, parking is Absolutely. not tough in this town. I just 
You know, I got to tell you, Tony, I'm just convinced that if if Martians landed in Cathedral Square and and looked at this and saw the rationale, they would leave convinced that there is no intelligent life in the city of Milwaukee for people putting this whole thing together. I absolutely agree with you. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> no, th- thanks. And, and again, it's just what is so frustrating about this is that you have. You know, this, this is the magic beans that, that people have, have been sold. This idea that here, you know, we're going to grow this bean stalk and it's going to go to the sky. Well, I mean, who is going to ride this? Okay, now I have an email here from Justin. Based on what I've seen in other cities with recent additions of streetcar systems, let me stop right there. By the way, um, you have a number of cities, including larger areas like around Washington, D.C., where they, they've actually halted their streetcar building projects because – in a place like D.C., where you need mass transit, where there's this huge population crush, they've they've halted it because they're finding that they're not getting the ridership they need. Based upon what this is, what Justin writes, based upon what I've seen in other cities with recent additions of streetcar systems, they will be greatly used, often by tourists and local entertainment seekers, but at ever increasing deficit operational costs to the community. Sure, that's because everybody that rides it, you know, you, you draw the cost. But I, I mean, I guess I just disagree with that premise. What tourist is going to is what tourist is going to ride this at least as presently constituted? All right, you're going to come into you, you come into the bus station or the train station. It's you're you're going to take the trolley to go like two miles at the outset that gets you up to the Lower East Side. No, I mean now if you want to make the argument that well that's why you need to run it to the arena or you need to run it up to UWM or something or you need to run it down to the airport okay fine but then you're talking about hundreds of millions maybe billions of dollars to do that and is that really the most efficient way to pay for mass transit I mean I think that's what the craziness of this is have another text the trolley is destined to fail I feel like we're living in the monorail episode of the Simpsons monorail monorail wish we could have put this money and effort into high-speed rail from milwaukee to madison and beyond at least that would get used regularly that's ryan and hartford right it's i'm i always get branded as you're you're, you're against mass transit i'm not but i'm going back to a transportation system that is designed to operate in the early 20th century and trying to say that we now suddenly need this for the the 21st century to me is absolutely crazy we had streetcars in milwaukee people didn't ride them we we tore them up you know and this whole idea that we're going to put in this fixed rail system that isn't going to go anywhere that people want now i understand why developers want this because all right, you, you can develop some areas around the streetcar line, and you're going to hope that people might get off and go into your coffee shop or, or whatever. But as far as – it that's awful expensive to drop $100-plus million or whatever this 2.1-mile line is going to cost. That's a lot of money to you know allow a couple coffee shops to maybe get a little more tourist traffic. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. What do you think? Um, well, first off, what, what does a streetcar do that a, a bus cannot do better? Nothing. And, <laughs> Nothing. Well, actually, and what can a bus do that a streetcar can't do? In other words, if we have a fire and it's blocking North Avenue, right. let's say, uh, the bus turns a corner and the streetcar does what? Right, the, the, the streetcar stops because there's the fire. Yep, yeah. And, yeah. And l- let me give you another example. Okay, they, they want to run the, the second phase of the streetcar line is to run it from the bus depot down to, to Summerfest, down to the lakefront. Okay, well... I, 
I appreciate that during the, the 10 or 11 days of Summerfest, you do have a lot of people coming up from Chicago who need to get from the train depot over to the Summerfest grounds. But my question would be, why would you build at the cost of $50 million or whatever that cost is going to be, why would you build a fixed rail line that really is only going to be used by any large number of people for a week or two in the summer? Don't you just add more buses then and, and run them down and then use them for some other route later on? Yes. The one thing that I can see why uh, some business may want a streetcar is because now you have a fixed line that um, is going to go by your place. Yeah. And they they know that they've yeah. got to stay there because you've invested so much money. Yeah. That yeah, right, premise, right. though, yeah. is crazy. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. If you run, if you, if you own a, a donut shop or a coffee shop, um, along this 2.1 mile streetcar line, or you own a building and you want to put a donut shop or a coffee shop in, yeah, I understand why you want it because while people are waiting for the streetcar out in front of your building, they might be inclined to go in and get a cup of coffee or get a donut. But that's, to me, that's a really, pardon the phrase, that's a dumb reason for putting in a 2.1 mile streetcar line at a cost of $120 million. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, you know, his, his point on, his point on buses is absolutely tremendous. I mean, like I say, I, okay, if you've got buses, all right, add buses. Put, put these rubber tire, tire, tired trolleys in. Have a bunch of them. Let's say during Summerfest when I acknowledge that you do have incredible demand for people who want to get from the train station down to the, the lakefront. Fine. Okay, for those 11 or 12 days, have a bunch of rubber-tired tro- trolleys that are running back and forth. But for the rest, and then put those tired rubber-tired trolleys on for some of the other ethnic festivals or whatever. But, you know, the, the lakefront is grossly underused, and it's always going to be grossly underused, um, at least present, you know, in January and February and March and in December. You don't need a fixed rail line going in there. Same thing is true for... Okay, you know, Miller Park, that's a classic example. The Brewers make the playoffs. Hopefully it'll be this year, but whenever the Brewers make the playoffs again, all right, people are going to want to get to Miller Park on buses. Okay, you add bus lines. Buses allow you to do this. Let's talk to uh, Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, Me and my wife go to Navy Pier in Chicago Mm -hmm. once in a while. We were there four months ago. And they got this cool um, trolley. It looks exactly like the trolley that the mayor wants to build. But it, the only problem is it has it's diesel and has wheels. <laughs> Why couldn't he do something like right. that? It looks just like a trolley. They wouldn't have had to rip up the street. Right. It looks authentic like a trolley. And it's 21st century clean energy technology. Yeah, I- I- exactly. Plus, you know, at those times on Navy Pier, um, when there's there's not a lot of tourists, there's not a lot of people going down there, like in the middle of winter or whatever, you, you don't... You don't run as many of them. You can adjust, you know, you can adjust the number of trolleys and all those type of things to what the demand is. This it's so frustrating to me, Brian. This is just so very obvious. And I tell you, if I lived in the city of Milwaukee and I lived on the southwest side or the northwest side or anywhere other than in this one small area of downtown, I would be so steaming mad at my alderman or older woman for voting for this. What does anybody who lives in some of the more economically depressed areas of the city of Milwaukee get? out of this absolutely nothing but we're spending 120 million dollars for a yuppie people mover that's not even going to move that many yuppies exactly um thanks for call- it is just so aggravating becky in menominee falls becky good morning you're at 620 wtmj good morning and how are you today i am well but this aggravates me and i, I mean uh, i don't I, even live in the city of milwaukee but it aggravates me either do i i totally concur with you 
uh, I think it's a waste of spending. I agree with the last caller about having those modern trolleys might be better. Um, it's more flexible than, like you say, if there's a fire on the street or in a building, then we're stuck. Right, or, or um, there's no demand. I mean, or, it, you know, it, whatever. It's, yes, you, you can, buses, you can alter the routes to deal with stuff. Streetcars, you can't. Exactly. But, you know, they're focusing on these trolley or about this train, this light rail, whatever you want to call it nowadays. With, right. Um, why aren't we focusing on the crime that's going on in our city? I, well, right, if, if you look at, right, if, now, I understand the argument that, well, this, this had to be spent on, on sort of some mass transit project. But, yes, if you wanted to look at, if you had $100 million sitting around and you were trying to figure out a way to spend it on issues that affect the citizens of the city of Milwaukee, I got to believe a 2.1 streetcar line, mile streetcar line would be, that would probably be like a number 120 on the list of the top, you know, 10 priorities. I could not agree with you more. We have problems with crime. We have problems with heroin addictions all over the place. Uh, we need to look at other things and focus our money on other things than this well, trolley well, right. car it, thing. Exactly. No, thanks for the call. And, and again, you know, all right, and if you want to even tie it into the larger picture than, than crime, and again, I, I try to look at the broader picture when we come to some of the, these issues. All right, if one of the arguments is we need to figure out a better way to, to get people – from the city of Milwaukee to various jobs or get them there was a study out the other day saying you, you need to work more on connectors that is so people don't have to walk you know two miles to get to a bus line to take them where they're going to go all right if you got a hundred million dollars in mass transit money shouldn't you be focusing on things like that as opposed to yuppie air trolleys just asking 855 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ how much trouble is Sheriff David Clark in politically we'll discuss stick around Jeff Wecker, 620 WTMJ, as we announced at the beginning of the program, Insight 2017. Our guest list continues to expand. The voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee. And if you've ever, uh, if you have a chance to just get an opportunity to see Wayne in a setting like Insight, it, it's worth it. He's just an interesting stories, fascinating guy. He will be joining us as one of our guests, Insight 2017. Um, it is Wednesday, April 19th at the Country Spring Hotel. Tickets are on sale now. Go to WTMJ.com. You can just click on that. In addition, if you want to make it easier, just t- text the word tickets to 414-799-1620 and we will send you the link. While Milwaukee area gas prices are in the $2.20 range, a new survey shows many Americans think that the price at the pump remains too high. Do you Agree, Scafidi and Billstat have the numbers and take your calls today. That is twelve thirty-five coming up in just a couple minutes. Is this the end of the David Clark era in Milwaukee? And if so, what does that signify? We discuss right now. Though it's eight fifty-nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's nine oh seven. So Jane, have you seen this new feature that that they're, you're going to have to do one of these too? But I, um, it's now up on our website. The the top sixes. Have you seen this? I have. Um, just up. It's a new feature, and they're going to be doing it once a week with different WTMJ personalities. I happen to be the the guinea pig on this, but it, it's actually you're smiling. It's actually it's it's very very cool. And what what our digital people do is they say, okay, you get to pick like a list of six things, and you get to choose whatever it might be, and then. We're going to put this up on, on the website, and we ask you to write a little bit of description. So I got to, I got to be the first one out of the box. So it is just up on our website right now. It is WTMJ's, this is be mine, top sixes, and mine was places to visit in the United States. Very nice. And you know, I wrote a little bit. They 
have me write a little bit of a description. It's one of these things where, you know, you, you go to it and, you know, they, we've got pictures and stuff, not pictures of me. <laughs> <laughs> there, there might have been pictures That's of me, but right, that, right. That's yeah, a yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it's very cool. So it's up at uh, WTMJ.com and you can go there and you can see the, the top six and all the different people whose voices you hear on the radio are going to be doing that at some point in time. I just uh, happen to be the first. So mine is top sixes. My top six places to visit in the United States. So you can check that out. Very nice. You're going to be doing one. I saw you're on the list. So you next got week. One. Oh, you're next week. I'm next week. Do you know what? Have you decided what your top six is going to be? I do. It's, the top, it's my top six recipes from the Lazy Baker, which is what I refer to as myself. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. That sounds great as well. So check that out. Um, it's at WTMJ.com right now. Our top six is places to visit in the United States. And, and by the way, I'm just going to give you a little tip. Um, normally... On Thursdays, we do Pop Culture Corner, which is always one of the most popular segments of the show. I'm off tomorrow and, and Friday. I'm going to go try to find the sun, sh- sun somewhere. And um, so we're going to move Pop Culture Corner to today. And, and actually, I'll just give you a little tip off. It's Pop Culture Corner is going to be kind of based on our, our top sixes. Um, but check it out. Our digital folks are doing a great job. Places to visit in the U.S. It's at WTMJ.com. While you are there, stop by WTMJ Mobile. You can download podcasts of all the shows and saw the numbers. I know lots of you are downloading podcasts of my program. I appreciate that very much. Uh, the other TMJ on-air programs or podcasts. And then we have a number of podcasts of voices that you, you don't always hear on the, the radio. So that's worth checking out. And again, a quick note, um, Insight 2017, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. Tickets on sale now. Latest addition to our guest list, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee, is going to be joining us to tell us some stories. Uh, Wayne's had just a great career. He's a fascinating guy, and chance to see him up close and personal is always, in and of itself, worth the price of admission. Big thing number two, is this the end of the David Clark era? Um, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark has always been a polarizing figure. Over the last year or so, he has become more and more polarizing by virtue of his he's now become a national presence. He is he's viewed as America's sheriff in some circles. He was very, very active in campaigning for Donald Trump. And a lot of people are accusing him of, of being AWOL, that is, you know, touring around the country, doing speaking, collecting fees, um, campaigning for political candidates, appearing on Fox News, and neglecting what he's got going on, neglecting what he's got going on in Milwaukee. Uh, Clark has always been polarizing in many respects. Interestingly, he has always run as a Democrat in Milwaukee County because, as a practical matter, it is impossible for a Republican to be elected in a partisan election. Sheriffs are partisan races, as opposed to, say, county executives, which is nonpartisan. Scott Walker, even though he's clearly a Republican and a conservative, Scott Walker was able to win, but that was a a different dynamic. Clark runs in a partisan election, so he's made the decision all along, even though Clearly, he is much more aligned with Republican Party politics. He's made a decision to run as a Democrat in Milwaukee County. The big challenge for Clark has always been winning the Democratic primary. Once he gets to the general election, he's always been very, very popular with Milwaukee County voters. But getting out of the Democratic primary has always been an issue. He's been able to do it, but he's won by relatively close margins. The reality, though, is he really hasn't had stiff competition. So 
you have a guy who has become more polarizing than, than ever before. And I think a lot of people who supported the sheriff, who wish the sheriff well, also are thinking, all right, maybe he's just looking to other things beyond Milwaukee County. Maybe it's time for, for him to move on. But still, there weren't many, at least people, exploring the race for sheriff who I think could pose a challenge to him. You had one of these guys who had run against him twice and had lost. You had um, retiring circuit court judge John Seifert, who was generally viewed as, as one of the lesser lights on the Milwaukee County circuit bench, so that probably wasn't going anywhere. But the news yesterday, broken in the Journal Sentinel, is that a former Milwaukee police captain, Ernell Lucas, who worked who worked at MPD. Okay, we have, uh, let me just stop there for just a second. We have breaking news. Shots fired at Capitol Hill. The situation appears to be contained. Shots fired at Capitol Hill. Situation appears to be contained. More details to come. So we will continue to monitor that. Obviously, that's the breaking story of the morning. Shots fired at Capitol Hill. Situation appears to be contained. Um... As soon as we get an update, we'll continue to keep you apprised, obviously. All right, so in any event, you've got David Clark, who now is being challenged. At least one of the people who is exploring a run is Ernell Lucas, who was in the Milwaukee Police Department the same time that David Clark was. He was, again, a relatively high-ranking officer at the Milwaukee Police Department, so he's got experience in uh, criminal law. He knows the area. For the last, oh, 15 years or so, he's worked for Major League Baseball. He was the head of security for Bud Selig. Now he's, again, involved in security for Major League Baseball. He is African-American. So he's looking at running as a Democrat as well. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is David Clark toast? Does this challenger mean... David Clark has little or no chance of being re-elected sheriff should he run. I'll tell you what I think, and we'll discuss. Nine seventeen, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We will continue to monitor the situation in the Capitol, but it seems like it's over. The reports appear to be that some crazy person tried to run down a Capitol Police officer in a car. There was a chase. The Capitol Police fired some shots. No one was hit guy was taken into custody so and i don't know that there's going to be necessarily any more of that but um it appears to be again just somebody that tried to run down capitol police officers lord knows why but nobody hit a temporary evacuation temporary lockdown of one of the senate office buildings but otherwise appears the situation is over which is good news and appears that nobody was hurt all right we're in the middle of our big story number two a challenger is emerging to uh sheriff david clark Former Malice, Milwaukee police captain Ernell Lucas, who is a vice president for Major League Baseball, but more importantly, again, lengthy history with the Milwaukee Police Department. He is apparently planning to challenge Clark in the 2018 Democratic primary. Um, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have been a supporter of David Clark since he was first appointed sheriff by then acting governor Scott McCallum. McCallum took over after Tommy Thompson uh, left to uh, take the job in the Bush cabinet. I I think what happens is there are all things must pass, and there is a time and a place for for everything. And candidly, I do not know if Sheriff Clark intends to run again for sheriff. But in all honesty, 
I, I think that the playbook that he has used over the years with great success, that, that playbook just doesn't work anymore. Um, if you look at some of the recent polls, and I'm skeptical of polls, but they show him with about a 30-plus percent approval rating in Milwaukee County. I think that might be low, but they also show him with, among Democratic voters, a 13 percent approval rating. Because I think a lot of Democrats have just decided, okay, you know, we, we, we liked what he was doing before, and we were able to overlook the fact that he was really a Republican running as a Democrat, and so we're, we're going to vote for him. He also, I think, benefited from a number of Republican voters, like myself, who oftentimes in primary elections didn't have any real choice in Milwaukee County on the Republican side, so we crossed over, we voted in the Democratic primary. I think those dynamics have changed, and the only thing I think that was questionable was whether or not there was going to be a strong candidate that emerged to challenge David Clark, and the first couple of names that were thrown out, candidly, were not strong candidates. If, if in fact, former Milwaukee, Milwaukee Police Captain Ernell Lucas does run, I think he's got to be the odds-on favorite to win, and to win big. And I think to have any chance, Clark would have to change his strategy. There's no way he gets out of a Democratic primary. There, there's just not anymore. So if he wants to continue to be sheriff, and I'm not sure he wants to continue to be sheriff, again, at some point in time, you get to a point where maybe it's just time to move on and host your talk show or write your books or make your speaking appearances or consider running for U.S. Senate, which would be an interesting dynamic. But the days of David Clark, I think being able to get out of a Democratic primary are probably long gone. So if he wanted to run for sheriff again, I think he has to run as a Republican. It is almost impossible to win as a Republican in Milwaukee County in a partisan race. So I, I my guess is, my guess is two years from now, we're probably going to have a different sheriff in Milwaukee County. Just saying. It's 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. The headline says Donald Trump's budget proposal cuts after-school programs for Wisconsin's neediest children. Is this really as much of a problem as some people would seem to think? 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, master magician and illusionist David Blaine is coming to Milwaukee. He'll take the stage at the Riverside Theater on June 19th. You could be there to witness the magic. Tune in today to Sakfidi and Billstad's 4 at 1 for your chance to score a pair of tickets. All right, big story number three. As part of the, the Trump budget, one of the things that they are looking at doing is cutting a grant program called the 21st Century Community Learning Center Grant Program. This is $1.2 billion that goes to states, and then it's dispersed to local school districts to be used to run like after-school programs and things like that. That is one of the things on the chopping block. Um, in Wisconsin, the Department of Public Instruction received about $15 million in the, these grants, and then they divvied it out to various school districts across the, the state. Um, MPS got about $2.7 million to support the, these programs. Now, Without these grants, doesn't mean that the programs necessarily go away, but this is a major source for this. Now, this announcement that's out there has people screaming bloody murder, and the Trump administration is saying, and I'm, I'm just going to cut to the chase, the Trump administration is saying, look, there, there's no evidence that these programs really 
work in any sort of material way. There, there's no evidence that there, there's supposedly like educational things. There, there's no evidence that um, people's test scores improve. There's no evidence that the kids do better in math. There's no evidence that the kids do better in, in reading. So from the purpose of these, these grants, there, there's really nothing to it. What this essentially is, is government paid for child care for people. And, and that's that's what their argument is, and that you know, one point two million dollars for this. Well, you know, we, we don't necessarily need that. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is it fair to describe these programs essentially as taxpayer paid for babysitting? And is it the end of the world if these programs would either go away? or would have to be funded in some other manner. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You may disagree with me on this one, and I'm not going to argue that these programs don't have some sort of merit, and giving kids a positive place to go after school, I I appreciate that there is a value to that, but from an educational perspective, Let's just be honest here. You're not really helping the kids get smarter. These programs don't help the kids learn. The programs give them a safe place to go after school, and that in and of itself might have a value. But is that really worth $1.2 billion to essentially provide, like I say, taxpayer paid for child care or babysitting for kids after school? Is it fair to say maybe this is something that that the parents should end up having to be responsible for or is the government in a situation where hey the government is responsible essentially for taking care of kids from the morning to providing the school breakfasts to the lunch to now the after school programs and in some cases like the dinner for the kids or is it fair to say hey maybe the parents need to do something 4147991620 um that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line and again at the risk of being labeled one of these kind of hard-hearted conservatives i, I think when it comes to spending money and budgeting for programs what you have to do is you have to say okay what is the goal of the program how is the money being spent and what can we best accomplish with it and in all honesty, while I think these are probably good programs that are out there, candidly, I'm not convinced at all that this is the best use of $1.2 billion, unless we're just going to be honest and say, all right, this is this is government paid for child care. And are we really at a point now where the government has to provide child care and babysitting services for people's kids in the after-school setting? Are these worthwhile programs? Well, okay, probably. I mean, it certainly makes it easier for mom and dad to not have to worry about, hey, school is out. Now I have to go pick up my kid or I have to figure out, you know, somebody who can watch my child while I'm at work. I understand all that value. But at the same time, all right, it's a lot of money. Our text line is exploding. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see. Uh, no, end it. I am not your babysitter. Well, that's right. I mean, a lot of people... They're the ones that have to figure out where they're going to get the dough, how they're going to come up with it, and how they're going to deal with their kids without expecting the taxpayers to end up picking up the tab. And and by the way, if these programs have so much merit, well, then the school districts can figure out other ways to come up with the funding for them. Maybe it's grants from the state. Maybe it's donations or contributions from people in the private sector. 
But the truth is, if we are ever going to rein in spending, you're going to have to make some choices. And one of the frustrating things is that it appears to be that any time you're talking about children, once you have a program that's established, it's, oh, it's going to be the end of the world. And, of course, there you see the headline out here. Donald Trump's budget proposal cuts after-school programs for Wisconsin's neediest children. Well, okay, the, the after-school programs are really child care babysitting for the need, quote-unquote, the neediest children. Yeah, to an extent, maybe it does. But is the government really a babysitter? That's the question you have to deal with, and I personally do not believe that if you cut back these things that the outcome is going to be as dramatic as at least some people would suggest. But after all, when it, if it's taxpayer dollars for the kids, people seem to say yes to everything. Huge controversy involving food trucks on local streets we will discuss next. It's 934, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. His daughter was tragically killed by a carjacker. Now this father is speaking out about how best to get justice. Hear his story at 520 today during Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Yeah, check that out. Um, Also, go to WTMJ.com. Our digital team just really done an excellent job with the website. You can go to our mobile app thing and you can check out our podcast page. Uh, Lots of people are doing that. That's just absolutely outstanding. In addition, we have this new feature that we're going to be running every week. Um, I was the first one out of the box with this. Our digital team says, hey, it's six topics. Pick six things and you get to pick what the area is, what you want to do. Mine are, are six, my six favorite places to vacation in the U.S., so you can go to WTMJ.com. You can click on that. You can see them. I wrote a little description about each place that's there, and you can just check that out. We'll be doing that every week. Hey, Ross and Vernon, our last topic, writes, um, in my son's grade school, there is a charge for wraparound care, whether it's before or after school care. It's convenient since your child stays at school, but the parents should pay. For those that can't afford it, they should seek out funding elsewhere rather than the taxpayers picking up the cost so um yeah end up checking that out okay food trucks now hondo you you're you're a food truck fan right you know it's you know it's it's very interesting there's been over the last several i remember back when i worked downtown when i worked in the old federal building that the there were there were the old brick and mortar restaurants and there was a guy there was a guy who had a hot dog wagon that that set up across the street from the Fister, essentially. And, you know, you you would go out, but that was only your choice. He had hot dogs. And, you know, you you could get sodas and you could get potato chips and stuff. But you would go out and you would buy hot dogs. And it was a convenient way if you didn't bring your lunch, you know, and you didn't want to go to stop into a restaurant or you didn't want to stand in one of the fast food lines for takeouts. It was nice. You would go up to, to the hot dog wagon. Well, the days of the hot dog wagon, and I know that there's still some around, but that's gone the way of the horse and buggy. There are more and more food trucks. And what you have is you have more and more chefs, restaurateurs, who are deciding, you know, rather than invest in in a restaurant, um, what we want to do is we're going to have a food truck. It, it will be like the mobile restaurant. And what we'll do is we'll, instead of having people come to us, we will go to them and we'll have the food trucks and food trucks are licensed and they have to pay taxes and things like that. You know, we will go out to different areas of the community and we'll set up, we'll park on the streets and then people will come to us. So they avoid the overhead of having to have the brick and mortar store, things like that. Now, some people who start out, who ultimately 
end up opening restaurants, they start out as food trucks. You know, they start out, that's their business here. We're going to go there. And, and then they, they graduate. They make a little bit of money. They find that what they're selling is good. They end up going to a restaurant. Other places start out as brick-and-mortar restaurants, and then they spin off into a food truck business, which is, again, very, very cool, a lot of appeal, gives people a number of choices. The problem with food trucks is, at least in the mind of some people, they cannibalize business. They take business away from the local restaurants. I mean, let's say you're running Hondo's Diner you know, on, on Fifth Street or whatever, you are paying rent, you're paying property taxes and all those different types of things, and all of a sudden, so you've got the, the fixed place, and all of a sudden, you know, at 11.30 every morning, you, you, you know, you depend on lunch business, for example, and all of a sudden at 11.30 every morning, a couple food trucks pull up and they park outside your place, and so instead of going into Hondo's, what they do is they stop at the food truck for stuff, and it costs you business. Well, okay, yesterday the Common Council voted, I think unanimously, to essentially prevent food trucks from operating on, on Brady Street. And the, the only thing that's waiting approval is, is whether or not Mayor Tom Barrett signs off on this. And the, the argument is the restaurant owners on, on Brady Street who are complaining about the, these different food trucks, they say, well, Okay, we, we pay the taxes, first of all, so we pay property taxes, but also we are members of the, the Brady Street Business Improvement District, so we also pay extra money to contribute to, again, beautifying the neighborhood and neighborhood upgrades and things like that. So we're paying to support the neighborhood. We're here. And these food trucks come, they park in front of our place, they take up two or three parking spaces or whatever, and then they steal our business. We think they need to be banned. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Common Council appears ready to, well, Common Council has, if the mayor signs off on it, food trucks, and there's a lot of food trucks in the city, but they will be banned from operating on certain parts of Brady Street in order to, again, preserve the business for the brick-and-mortar stores. Should food trucks be stopped from operating in these areas, or is this the free market, and if people want to go to the food trucks to eat instead of going to the brick-and-mortar stores, should they have the right to do that? Should the Common Council, should the mayor, should the city be getting in the way? I have a very strong opinion, but I want to know what you think as well. We will discuss next. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the city essentially be protecting the brick-and-mortar stores, the restaurants, from the competition that comes from the food trucks. We discuss next. It's 940, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 944, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Chances are you have perhaps patronized a a food truck. You see them all over, uh, parked on the streets. You also see them at various events. Um, A lot of good food, and a lot of these food trucks... That's uh, it's where people start out. In some cases, it's where people end up. They start out as a restaurant, and they decide that we're going to be a food truck. Uh, the Common Council has just passed an ordinance which prohib- would prohibit food trucks from being on the street on Brady Street in the Brady Street you know, home in business district uh, because some of the local restaurants are complaining that hey, this is taking away our business. All right, is, is this is it the role of government? to protect the brick-and-mortar businesses, or should it be a free market? If the food truck wants to operate and people want to go to the food truck as opposed to going into the sit-down restaurant, 
Um, should they have the right to do that? Pat in New Berlin. Pat, you're on 620 WTMJ. You know, I mean, I drive a truck, and it's getting down to the point in Milwaukee where what am I going to do, transfer my load to another truck because my company is not based in Milwaukee anymore? Mm-hmm. These are businesses. They're entrepreneurs. They have a right to do business as long as they're complying with all the codes and regulations. They should be allowed to do business where they want to do business with. Well, from the perspective of the business owner, though, do they have a point when they say, hey, look, we're paying property taxes, we're, we're employing these people, and all of a sudden you have one of these food trucks that pulls up at lunchtime, sets itself in front of our place of business, and then takes some of our business away. No sympathy for them at all? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. I mean, they could have rules and regulations in place that say they have to be within so many feet away from the building, you know, right. depending on any type of business, or have designated areas where they can park in yep. that aren't directly in front of a, a, another restaurant. Yeah. In see, front of another restaurant, I do have a problem with that. Yeah, see, see, Pat, that, that, see, that to me is the key. I would not, I, I think they're wrong in putting in a total ban. And again, this ban, it's just for the, the Brady Street Improvement District, and their justification is that the businesses are, spe- are contributing extra money beyond the, the taxes. Because keep in mind, the food trucks have to be licensed. I mean, they pay taxes as well. I do think, and, and also, I think food trucks, by and large, I think it's kind of a different clientele than at least a lot of the restaurants. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the sit-down restaurants, I mean, if you're going to go for a sit-down meal, that's different than I'm going to run up the food truck and I'm going to grab something to eat while I'm, I'm walking back to work or whatever. So I'm not sure how much direct competition there is. But having said that, I understand if I was a restaurant operator and all of a sudden uh, you've got a food truck that pulls up at noon and parks in a space, takes two or three parking spaces in front of my restaurant, I understand why these people are mad as you know what. I wouldn't like that either. So to me, the answer isn't a complete ban. The answer is what you were talking about, which is some sort of zoning restriction that prohibits you from locating your food truck within X number of feet of one of these existing restaurants. So, I mean, if, if, for example, I'm on one block and the next block down, a food truck wants to operate, well, okay, I don't think that's really any different than another restaurant being a block down. In front of your building, I think it's legitimate. To me, that's how I think you accommodate the, the legitimate need for competition with still protecting the business a bit. That's what I think happens. Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Steve. Okay, let's try uh, Tim in Racine. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, this is just typical of the city of Milwaukee. Uh, I live in Racine, but I see it all the time. Milwaukee is so anti-business. They're complete. It, it, they're just brain-dead liberals is what they are <laughs> in that place. Uh, the people who own the trucks, they've already paid for their truck. Right. They've already paid their taxes for their fuel. Right. They're getting earned income, which they pay taxes on. Right. But yet the city of Milwaukee is basically saying, we don't want your business here. We don't want you to make money. Right. Uh, or at least in certain areas. Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least in certain areas. But, yeah, and, and they pay why licenses. Should they be, sure. Why should they be discriminated? Right. As long as they paid their permits and they paid their taxes, they've, uh, they're paying their workers, they're not cheating the federal government of taxes, they have a right to go wherever they want. This is, a, again, this is just the city of Milwaukee just micromanaging all the laws. So you would not you would not support any restrictions at all? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Um, Other than size. Uh, I mean, obviously, 
or a flow of traffic. That's one thing. You're right. No, that's not right. And thanks, and that's that's not at least that now. I mean, one of one of the complaints is that sometimes these food trucks end up taking up multiple parking spaces in front of a business. But but it's really about this is about protectionism. See, I I just again I think. I think that there is a common sense balance here that you can do to protect the rights of both. Do I want to see food trucks go away? No. Do I want to see them just limited to being able to operate, oh, you know, down at the lakefront or at different events? You know, no, because I, I appreciate this. They provide a service that people end up wanting. I think, again, the logical, the easy way is just to say you can't operate you can't park in front of a business within X number of feet. And I don't know what that number would be. Um, but, again, if you've got a restaurant and two blocks down there's a food truck, to me, okay, that's not government's business to say that, that food truck shouldn't be there. Immediately in front of your business, I, I kind of get that. Scott writes, I agree with what the Common Council did. I look at this resolution passing similar to the City Council setting zoning requirements. If the elected representatives want to zone Brady Street for only brick-and-mortar restaurant businesses, they should be allowed to do that. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Rich in Burlington. Rich, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, well, this is my opinion. The people who own the brick-and-mortar restaurants spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to build out their restaurant, and not only to build out their restaurant, but to help improve the neighborhood. Right. Where these trucks could come in, grab your lunch business, and leave, and they're not, they don't care about the neighborhood or what's going on after 2 o'clock or Three o'clock, and when the slow time is, you're there all day, and they're coming and going as they please. So you think that they you think that they should be banned entirely from operating? I think they should maybe have a specific area yeah. or, or or something in that nature where they're not going to hurt the. the Right. People who help improve the neighborhood. Yeah, see, right. I agree. I mean, thanks. See, I, I, I mean, and I agree with that as well. I mean, I, I appreciate that the restaurant owners have a legitimate, you know, a legitimate beef, and especially that's that's the hook that they're using on this Brady Street thing. They're saying, well, it's not just a question of paying property taxes. They also all belong, belong to this Brady Street Association, so they're voluntarily contributing money to improve the area. Again, to me, rather than a ban. The simple solution is some restrictions. You, you zone it that says that you can't park one of these things within, again, X number of feet. Um, you know, I- interesting. Um, let's see, Debbie writes on our text line, I think food trucks are great, too, uh, maybe not around restaurants. Beth makes an interesting point that we were just discussing on the text line. She writes, food trucks don't compete with restaurants any more than beer gardens complete, compete with bars. I don't think they should be parked directly in front of a restaurant, though, because of the parking. Yeah, you're taking away those parking spaces. This is a point that um, I, I made. What were we talking? Oh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how up in West Bend, in Washington County, they are considering following the Milwaukee County model in certain parks and allowing local operators to come in and set up beer gardens. And they're getting some blowback from the local business community, some of like the local bars and restaurants, who are afraid of that competition. The point I made at the time is. I mean, I don't think these beer gardens that we have in Milwaukee County, I don't think that they compete with the typical bars and restaurants. Matter of fact, I think they, they might enhance it. I mean, just my personal use, I'll go over, I'll have a beer at the Esterbrook Park Beer Garden, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to go out. Matter of fact, it might even make it more likely that I'm going to go somewhere else and grab something to eat or all. I, I don't believe that there is that degree of direct competition. Now, 
if you set up the public beer garden parked on the sidewalk in front of a couple bars on Oakland Avenue, I might have a different feeling on that. So to me, again, I, I think there's just what you can do is that you can, again, craft something to allow the food trucks to operate, allow the clientele who wants to patronize the food trucks to do that, but still give some degree of protection to the business owners. There is a compromise here, which is not, at least in my opinion, necessarily a full-out ban on Brady Street or elsewhere. It's 953. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 9.56, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we'll weigh in on this whole flap involving the 13-year-old who gets patted down by the TSA agents. Did they go too far? Stick around. Um, Scott Walker, continuing with a theme that he announced a, a number of weeks ago in connection with his budget, namely that he thinks social services programs, entitlements, whatever, should be... A safety net, not a hammock. That's kind of the basic philosophy of this. And he's announcing that he is going to continue to push for waivers from the federal government. And you would need waivers. You might also need congressional approval, but you definitely need waivers for drug testing of people who are on Medicaid, able-bodied people who are on Medicaid, drug testing to determine whether or not they are drug users and refusing to provide with the test would mean that you would go without coverage. Um, Walker is also moving forward with similar drug testing and work requirements for other state programs like food stamps and unemployment insurance. The idea behind this, and I understand some people here, oh, this is just terrible, you're picking on the poor, whatever. Well, okay, there's a lot of companies that, that have drug testing. Um, in our company, before you get hired, you have to go and you have to submit to a, a drug test. And if you pass, don't pass the drug test, you're not going to get a, a job offer. And I know that there's other companies who do that on a more regular basis. Walker's thinking with this is that, look, it, we want to get people off these social services. We, we, wanna, we want to get them jobs. We want to get them working. And one of the things that's going to block that is the fact if they're they're drug users. You know, if they've got a drug problem, what we want to do is we want to help them get help. But if they've got a drug problem at the same time, chances are that they're not going to be employable moving forward. So we, we need to get them the help they need, but we can't get them the help they need unless we're able to identify where the problems are. So this idea is, hey, we have people submit to the drug tests, and then we can provide them treatment if they want. Um, so that's the idea. Now, in theory, I support this. But here is the question I have, and here's the question I hope that the legislators ask moving forward, and that is, in states that have done this, what is the cost-benefit analysis? By that I mean, how many, how much does it cost to do these various drug tests, and how many people actually end up testing positive for, for drugs? Do you catch enough people to make it worth the expense? Or, for example, if this is going to cost you, you know, X million dollars a year, and you're not going to catch anybody, or you might catch one or two people, then I think you have to say, is there perhaps a better way to try to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish? So to me, it's not whether this is a good idea. It's not whether it is a reasonable idea. It's whether experience shows you catch enough people to make it worth the money you're going to have to spend. That's the question I think you need to ask. Coming up in about seven or eight minutes, we're going to tackle this whole question about whether TSA went too far in the pat-down of a teenager. Stick around. 
1008. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. So, Jane, I had a lesson this morning about how people do listen to what we say. Um, you and I are both dog lovers. Yes. And the, uh, I, I told this story a while back about how I, and I know you feel the same way, about how when you're walking your dog and they like leave deposits, there's a special place and you know where for people who don't clean up after them, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So I was telling the story, and you'll remember that, about how I'm, I'm, I'm walking and she does this, and I, I reach into my pocket, and I don't have any of the little bags. I, I have nothing. And so I, I'm just I'm sitting there like, it's a little dog, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And there's there's just nothing I have to pick it up other than I reach into my wallet and pull out a dollar bill. And, <laughs> and pick it. Look at that Wagner. He's got so much money. <laughs> That's exactly it. But I, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what exactly am I going to do? And it's not close to the house, so I can't like leave and come. It's like, okay, so, so I'm walking with a dollar. Okay, so this morning. I'm walking my dog. There's a guy, like, walking his dog, going the other way, and he yells, Jeff, if you don't have a bag, if you, if you don't have a bag, you don't have to use a dollar. I've got one for you. Oh, and I'm like, hilarious. So, like, the, like the, all, all the neighbors are looking out for me there. <laughs> but, well, you know, what do you, I mean, I, most people, I understand, would have left it or kicked it in a snowbank or whatever. I just didn't. If it, if it, that's our responsibility. It, it's it's, our, it, it's <laughs> our animal. I've gone back. And then not been able to find right, it. Right. So right. you know, and but then I think I, the last time that happened, I picked up someone else's. It's the big karma thing. Yeah, karmically, so, yeah. I, I am, but people now remember it, it's the guy who's got the. I, but I'm, there's, I have no no paper, no tissue, no nothing, and it's like, okay. Now I do acknowledge if, if I'm lucky, I had a dollar bill. If it was just twenties or something, it was staying not on the ground. Happen. Right. Exactly. So so that's the list. But the guy's yelling at me today in a nice way. Hey, if you don't have any, you know, I've got some bags if you don't need them, Jeff. And th- <laughs> thanks. Thanks a lot. So people, again, this lesson that people do do listen to the things we say, and that is very nice. Hey, check out our website, WTMJ.com. Insight 2017, Wednesday, April 19th. Uh, we continue to roll out other guests. It's at the Country Springs Hotel. Um, we just announced earlier this morning, Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, is going to join us. We'll have more announcements. Scott Walker is going to be our headliner. Three members of the state Supreme Court, Bob Babish, Don Smiley from Summerfest. Going to be a lot of fun. Tickets are on sale now. Go to WTMJ.com, and you can click on the link and uh, hope to see you there. While you're also out there, check out one of our newest digital features. Just went up today, um, and, and each of the WTMJ voices you're going to hear on the air we're, we're going to be doing this i just happen to be the first one out of the box it, it's six things and to me it was like you get to pick six things to me it's it's my six favorite places to visit in the united states and you can they, we've got pictures of the places not pictures of me at the places you know because what goes on in vegas stays in vegas for example we do not take photographs of that but um a little bit of description that i've written so it's kind of an interesting thing it's also going to tie into pop culture corner that we're going to do this afternoon at eleven thirty. normally we do it on a thursdays but i'm off for the next couple of days all right matter of fact i'm, I'm going to be uh, hopping on a jet and, and heading to try to find some sunshine the um controversy involving the airport and involving TSA. And my guess is you have probably seen or heard about this video, but I want to find out what your reaction to it is. And you you might disagree with me on on mine. Um, Mom, the story, what happens is on Sunday, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, which is a very, very busy airport, mom is complaining 
that she and her family were treated like dogs. She posts a video on Facebook on Sunday that shows a TSA agent thoroughly patting down her 13-year-old son for about two minutes. She said her family spent about an hour at the checkpoint and missed their flight. TSA actually has this on film, and it was actually about 45 minutes from the beginning of getting in line till when this was all over. Um, what happens is the 13-year-old apparently left a laptop in, in his book bag as it went through the scanning machine. So they then said, your son is going to have to submit to a pat-down, even though he did not set off the body scanner. Um, She requested that they screen him in other ways, she says, because her son suffers from a a sensory processing disorder, which makes him sensitive to touch. Um, In the video, the uh, agent apparently explains the procedure, pats him down, um, his backside, his front, down his legs. Um, they, they, they grab the kid up by the groin area and stuff. It's a very, it is a very extensive pat-down. Um, as per policy, the TSA officer used the back of his hands for pat-downs over sensitive areas of the body. And so I don't mean to be flippant as they grab it, but they're, I mean, they, they've got, they got their hands up in towards the private parts. Uh, the boy cooperated during the screening process. All approved procedures were followed. Um, again, TSA says this took about 45 minutes. The kid says, I don't understand why I had to go through all this. What did I end up doing wrong? TSA says these are new procedures that took effect March 2nd. They said what happened is we were getting criticized for these audits about people who were able to get things through the screening procedure. So now we have just one. We don't use discretion. We treat everybody the same. There's a standardized procedure using these enhanced security measures. And we said this is just because of the undercover audit. So the mom says they were treated like dogs. She thinks the search was overly invasive. The kid wasn't found to have anything on his person going through the scanner. It's only because he had his laptop in the book bag. He didn't take it out of the book bag. And that's what triggered things. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here, here is my question. Does the mom have a legitimate beef or do you support TSA? TSA says, hey, look, th- th- we, we have one-size-fits-all procedures. We've trained everybody the same way. We explain this. This is how we do it. If you get stopped and mom isn't happy, is it unreasonable? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You may disagree with me on this. But, you know, I'm sorry that this happened, and and I I understand why the mom might be upset. But at the same time, being a TSA agent is a thankless job. You just imagine this. You're you're looking at, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of stuff going through that scanners or people coming through. People are agitated. They're all in a hurry. They just want to get through. Lots of people have attitudes. And and most of the stuff, almost all of the stuff, 99.99999% of the time, it's all going to be benign. But God help you, if you're the one that misses something and something bad happens, you know, you know there's going to be in trouble. Now, does this 13-year-old kid look to me like he's a terrorist? No. But at the same time, if because... People were getting through these screenings, um, and because some of the screenings people were were not doing as thorough a job, this is just the rule that you have to follow. And you know what? I understand why mom's upset, but it's hard for me to criticize TSA under these circumstances. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does the mom have a legitimate point? Are you with me? 
it, it might have been a little bit of overkill, but TSA has the rules to follow. Let's start with Katie in West Dallas. Katie, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I think the mom's completely overreacting. We're told to be there an hour and a half before our flight. People don't do that. So if she's really only there 45 minutes, then she shouldn't have missed her flight, number one. Number two, it looks like they explained it to him very well. Right. Um, and I just think, you know what, I want them treating everybody the same, and I want my kids to be safe on the flight. So if that means that my 13-year-old is going to have to go through a pat-down because he didn't follow the directions of taking his laptop out, right? so be it. Yeah, yeah I, right, I guess, I mean, it's... It's. I mean, she was saying, "Well, do alternate things," and they're saying, "No, we, we don't do alternate things anymore. This is this is just how we handle this." I mean, she takes the cell phone video. I mean, I, I watch it. It's is it a little bit intrusive? Yeah, but it's not. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable. It's not like they're grabbing private parts or anything. It, he's 13 years old. Is he maybe a little bit traumatized? Maybe, but I I'm kind of with you. you know, even if it's a little bit of overkill, I would rather have them err on the side of being safe rather than sorry. That's right. That's no, thank, right. No, thank, you know, yeah. no, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That's Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, I mean, I, I understand why mom is annoyed. I, I get that. We're, we're, all, we're all annoyed when we go through these TSA things. But, but it, it, is, it is a thankless type of job. And I watched the two-minute video, and I guess, do I think it's very clear that the kid isn't carrying anything and he's not a terrorist and any of these stuff? But, hey, if the procedures say you get stopped, so you got to submit to the pat-down, well, all right, just just. Put up with it. Karen in Neshota. Karen, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, yes, hi. I agree with the previous caller. I think that I, I, I did see the video, and I didn't think it was overly intrusive, and I think that the mom is making a big deal about nothing. Yeah. Um, now, so if that was your 13-year-old, you wouldn't be upset that you had the TSA guy that was kind of sticking his hands, the back of his hands between the kid's legs and things like that? Nope, not at all. I don't. I think that they have a standard procedure. It looked from the video like they followed it, yeah. and I didn't see anything that looked inappropriate. Plus, and they explained we, it. I mean, it, they, they said, "Okay, yeah. this is what we're, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to handle it." And I, again, it seems to me TSA is in this no-win situation. They just get roasted for in this 2015 audit because they're letting people, you know, get through with, with stuff that they shouldn't have. So they have this more intrusive thing. Would I have? Would I like this if this happens to me? No. But at the same time, I, I've got no contraband here. I'll stand there. It's fine. Do it, and then let me get on my plane. Exactly. It just is what it is. Um, they are doing it to keep us all safe. And I think, you know, if things do get through or, some, like you said, something were to happen, then, of course, everybody's quick to blame them. Well, they have a job to do, and it is what it is. Thanks to call. Appreciate it. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1018, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Was this TSA overkill? 1021, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I admit I had to laugh when I watched this lady complaining about the pat-down given to her 13-year-old son. I, I always think back to the time I was in the Rome airport coming back um, to we were coming back from a, a vacation, and there, there was something in my wife's checked bag that, that set off, that like so something in the x-ray thing that they were looking at and they thought was suspicious. They pull me out of the waiting line. They put me in a cart. They drive me across the airport to where the bag is, and they make me open up the suitcase. The idea being, if it's a bomb, they <laughs> they want you to blow up there. And and I think now that that was intrusive. I'm going, oh, you can open up. And they say, no, no, we're not going to open it up. You you open it up. So, I, okay, here I, I understand why people are frustrated. 
I understand why you might want to say, hey, it's overkill to pat down a 13-year-old kid, but it, it's, it is their policy, and they've adopted this policy after stuff got through. Let us talk to uh, Linda in Oconomowoc. Linda, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, having worked with autistic and sensory children over a number of years, past 20 years, and knowing how things have changed. And I think sometimes policies have to change, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't do the pat-down. But right. what we used to do is, first of all, perhaps a physician, the parent should always carry a sure. copy of something relating to that. The child is very sensitive. Perhaps the mother could help with the pat-down. That's what we used to do. If I could not do a diagnostic patient because the child was sensory perception have issues or autistic, I would direct the parents to kind of help so the child yeah. feels more comfortable. These kids freak out. They're not normal people, and it can be very traumatic. I know when you don't work with kids every day like I did, you don't understand that. And I'm not saying you can't do the pat-down because that definitely has to go. Okay. It has to happen. Well, but, and I, I and I, think, but, but I don't think mom had a, had a letter from a doctor or anything. I, I don't think. It, and that's right. what I'm saying. Yeah. The rules need to be changed. The mother should always carry a letter, right. and they should be directed in that letter by the physicians. Let mom help with the pat down. Well, well and, the and also Linda, right? Also yeah. Linda, if, if if mom had checked the kid's laptop in the first place and taken the computer out, <laughs> none of this would happen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, it's 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 the world of technology. A lot of kids shouldn't have cell phones, and they shouldn't have computers. Oh. And not everybody is, you know, well aware of some of the rules. You know, there are just some people that aren't, and they need to be more updated, and they maybe should get something in advance of flying or be well, very much aware of it. Well, it's, it's, but at the same time, Linda, I mean, I'm, I mean, look, every time, I, I'm, okay, I don't want to exaggerate, most of the times when I go to the airport, there's big signs that say, take your laptops out. There's people that are standing there saying, take your shoes off. Take your laptops out of your bag. There's signs that say that. So, I mean, again, if I were flying with a 13-year-old and the kid were carrying a computer, I, I like to think, again, that I, I would make sure that the computer was out of, of the bag. So none of this happens if mom is on her game in the first place, which is the point that Jan makes on our text line. Where was mom when the laptop would have been removed in the first place before they reached the point? Okay, another text. TSA had no right to pat down the child, especially around the private parts, front of the hand or back of the hand. No right to do that. The mother should file sexual assault charges on that agent. Okay. I, I watched the video, right? There, there's nothing about what the TSA agent did in that pat down that, at least in my mind, comes close to sexual assault charges. They explained exactly what they were going to do. They 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 did it. I mean, if you're going to be saying that these pat downs are, are sexual assault, well, what you should do is probably take the bus and and not fly. Let's talk to um, let's see Kelly and Fond du Lac. Kelly, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Hi, Kelly. I'm kind of upset about the whole situation. You know, I served in the military, and I know what, you know, if you look at the pictures of people that bombed the trade centers and the purpose that we did all this that brought us to this point, okay, they're not 13-year-old kids. Okay, they're not sticking plastic, you know, uh, plastic explosives in their underwear and their shoes. They're not 13-year-old kids. And if it comes down to the computer and the, uh, the laptop in the bag, 
okay, if it's oh, okay, well, let me ask if, you this then, 13, Kelly. Let me ask you. It, let me why ask, wasn't the mom patted down instead of thirteen year old? Well, let me ask you this: It would you then say? And this is this is the problem you have. Would you then say that okay, if if it's if it's children under fifteen, that they shouldn't be subject to pat downs at all? A specific, but you don't need to go to the private areas. You know, you go to the pants, you go to the lakes. I did this. Uh-huh. You know, I I did this as a reconnaissance scout. I we took prisoners. Right. You patted them down. You patted them down well. Right. But this was this was a grown man on a grown man. All right. right? If if you had a women and children standing around, you know, you did a a, a a type of a pat down, but you didn't go to the extreme to where you know you were actually touching private parts or anything. And yes, I've seen the video. Yes, I think he went a little bit too far, okay. you know, in the private areas. But you know, that's that's TSA. I understand that to a certain extent. But you know, if if the kid would have handed the, the laptop case to his mom and the computer was still in the case, who gets patted down then? The well, then, kid or the mom? Well, my guess. Thanks for, I mean, my guess is then it would have been the, if <clears throat> if it was the mom that brought it through. My my guess is the mom would have been patted down. Look, I mean, I understand and see, and I get this argument. I've been making this for years about. Whenever you hear this idea of profiling, you, you can't profile. Well, okay, right, 89-year-old ladies on walkers aren't the ones that are blowing up planes. And to give them the same scrutiny that you might give to some other class of individuals, well, I, I agree that it's sort of a waste of time. But TSA, this has been the policy that they put in place. They put it in place because they were criticized for letting stuff slip through. And so now it's kind of like this one-size-fits-all thing. So I guess the bottom line is, if you don't, I guess to me, it's if you don't want to go through this, okay, the easy way is to make sure you take all the stuff out of your bag that you're supposed to take out of your bag and make sure when they tell you to empty your pockets, you empty your pockets. And then none of this happens. 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. While Milwaukee area gas prices are in the $2.20 range, a new survey shows many Americans think that the price at the pump remains too high. Do you agree? Scafidi and Billstat have the numbers, and they take your calls today at 1235. Okay, Journal Sentinel has a piece in their online coverage that reiterates something that we've talked about oh, over the course of the last week since this horrible situation where you had the a Milwaukee building inspector, the 64-year-old man who was killed Wednesday sitting in his vehicle outside, you know, he was on like 23rd and Cherry in the middle of the afternoon. And as it turns out, you, you have a gang, roving gang of thugs who'd been out there, you know, stealing cars, middle of the afternoon, and surprise follows surprise. Turns out that uh, lengthy records. So, I mean, here's the way the Journal Sentinels reports it, and we told you about this last week. Suspects in killing a Milwaukee building inspector had prior run-ins with the law. One of the teens charged in the fatal shooting of city building inspector was free on bail after he was found in a stolen car. Another had been charged four times in the past three years for illegal gun possession. And the accused trigger man, guy had a shotgun, a teenager, 17, had violated juvenile probation numerous times, but nonetheless was no longer being supervised by the county, according to sources. You know, then it goes on, it talks about these. Um, one of them had a prior case as a juvenile related to strong-armed robbery, repeatedly violated terms of his probation, continued to be placed in group homes, but was not on probation at the time of the alleged offenses. So here you have somebody who violates his probation over and over again. He's back out on the streets. Uh, the paper asked to review his juvenile court records, but because we want to protect these poor young people, 
um, they said, nope, we're not we're not going to we're not going to tell you, you know, what what the disposition of this was. Um, one of the co-defendants free on a signature bond after he was charged last month while operating a motor vehicle without the owner's consent. He stole a car. Um, man told police his car was stolen February 10th when he left it parked with the engine running outside his house on the side. Officers saw, saw the stolen car later that day and pursued it, stopped the chase when they lost sight of the car. So the punk steals a car and then takes off and, and runs, gets away. Officers spotted the stolen car parked in an alley with the kid in the driver's seat. When Shaw saw police, he ran and was arrested about six blocks away, um, et cetera, et cetera. This is the one that Court Commissioner Grace Flynn, and court commissioners are lawyers that are hired by the judges to do routine matters, like set bail. She's the one that set a $500 signature bond for the car thief. Um, signature bond, and, and who fled, of course, too. Signature bond, you don't even have to put up any money. That's just a promise that if I don't show up or I commit another crime, I'll give you $500. Uh, yeah, good luck with, with that. Um, and, and again, it just it kind of goes on and on and, and on. But here's, here's the dazzling detail of, of the story. Milwaukee Alderman Tony Zielinski, who I think is an okay guy, you know, in the wake of this, he calls for state lawmakers to stiffen penalties for violent crime. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I have no problem if you want to stiffen the law for violent crime. I have no problem if you want to put in mandatory minimum sentences or you want to increase penalties. I don't care about that. But, but when will the politicians realize that this isn't about stiffer penalties. Stiffening penalties for crimes isn't going to do a damn thing as long as you have judges who are not willing to hold people accountable. This this horrible situation and the fact that you had these young gangsters who were out on the streets in a position to do what they did, it's not about tougher penalties. I mean, my God, you've got one charged four times in the past three years for illegal gun possession, and he's running around the street. The alleged shooter violated juvenile probation on multiple occasions, um, and, and he's he's just still out. They, they just kicked him loose after you know being convicted of strong-armed robbery and repeatedly violating terms of his probation. I don't have a problem if you want to toughen the laws, but that's not what the problem is. The problem is court commissioners who set $500 signature bonds on people who steal cars and flee from the police. The problem is a juvenile court system which slaps people's wrists, and the problem is judges who don't hold people accountable. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Brent in Pewaukee. Brent, good morning. Well, good morning to you. Uh, it's a real simple answer to a serious, serious problem. It's time. It's high time that all of these people, these officials, these people who are in the government, these people who are judging, be held accountable. If these people don't give the proper sentencing or the rules and regs are not changed, in favor of us, the people who are the sensible, civilized people in this country, 
then these people that were elected into those offices should be kicked out or maybe even put on trial. Well, the problem with kicking them out, Brent, is is nobody holds them accountable. Nobody runs. As a general rule, once you get either appointed or elected to the bench, you're never going to get any opposition. Nobody runs against them. Um, And a lot of times you, you do stuff under the radar screen. See, what's frustrating to me is th- these type of, of bails and these type of sentences, this happens dozens of times a week in the Milwaukee County court system. We don't know about it. The reason we know about this is simply because these guys who were out on these ridiculously low bails or no supervision you know, went out and killed somebody while they were carjacking them. But this goes well, on me, on a Jeff, regular basis. Jeff, let me interrupt. Weren't you at one time a federal prosecutor? I was. Well, don't you understand? Then you should have the be- you should have the best knowledge of how fouled up the system is. <laughs> oh, oh, don't 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 get me wrong, Brad. I I, I understand how fouled up the the system is. I'm just telling, and I and I appreciate this idea. Let, let's hold judges accountable. But no, you know, we have elected judges. Nobody runs against judges for a variety of reasons, and there's no degree of accountability. And you have some of the judges who don't who just hate this kind of conversation. They say, "Well, this is just so terribly unfair." We have this whole system that's set up, and you know, we have this these computer models that look at this stuff. And yes, we recognize that you know we're going to let some people loose, and they're going to commit some crimes. Well, oh, okay. Maybe maybe you need to start looking out more for the interests of the law-abiding citizens, because here is the reality, that the number of people that actually commit crimes is a relatively small number. What you see, and you talk to any cop and they'll tell you, it's the same people over and over and over again who are committing crimes. You know, the, the kid who's convicted of juvenile uh, and strong-armed robbery, been through the juvenile justice system, violated time and time and time and time, and finally the system just throws up its hand and says, okay, you know, go back out on the streets, and then surprise follows surprise, he's involved in, in a murder. 414-799-1620 is the number. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, I, I appreciate what Tony Zielinski, the alderman, is talking about, tougher penalties. That's what Barrett talks about, too. But that, that's fine, but that doesn't solve the problem. You know, there were all sorts of laws that would have allowed you to lock these thugs up or at least detain them. $500 signature bond for a 17-year-old who steals a car and flees from the police. I mean, $500 signature bond? That is shameful. I mean, it is absolutely shameful, but it's not necessarily atypical. Let's talk to, um, let's see, um, Mary in Wauwatosa. Mary, good afternoon. Good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Still trying to get used to morning. <laughs> well, every once in a while, I haven't done that in a couple weeks. But good morning, Mary. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call. Thirty sure. years ago, I worked in Waukesha County, uh, which is one of the richest counties in the state of Wisconsin. And I begged these um, uh, judges, please change the judicial code because we are just breathing thud. Yeah. And, and the problem, and I totally, Jeff, 110% agree with what you're saying. We have to make these parents accountable. Mm-hmm. We need a driver's license to drive a car. Well, maybe we start needing to educate people that want to have children and how society accepts them, would like to accept, let's just live in happiness and joy and being peaceful. A lot of these children are seeking attention because their parents just have them and then don't parent them. So that's my soapbox for today. Well, well uh, no, you're, you're, you're welcome. But I mean, I mean, here's, I mean, here's the, 
here's the thing. Okay, one of one of the the one of the ones who's involved, the 21 year old, the Journal Sentinel is pointing this out. He's been arrested multiple times. Nearly every time police have arrested him, he has had a gun. In January of 2014, a Milwaukee police officer saw the guy dressed all in black and running the streets. When the officer caught up to him, guy admitted he had a revolver in his waistband, said he found it in a garage a few weeks earlier in La Crosse. Right. Three months later, police were monitoring a suspected drug house. When they saw the guy with three other people in front of him, he started walking towards the officers, fidgeting with something in his pocket of his sweatshirt. When they stopped him, they found pot, two pills. Uh, the drug case and earlier charge of conceal, carrying a concealed weapon were misdemeanors. They were combined. He pled guilty. Five months in the House of Correction. Uh, sentencing postponed for two months as he recovered from a gunshot wound. September of 2015, same guy. Cops run away from him during a foot chase. Um, he falls over. Um, he's got a loaded 45 caliber pistol underneath him, charged with carrying concealed weapon. Six months later, while the case was pending, officers responded to a shots fired thing. They approached the guy on a, per- a porch. Um, he started to run away from them. They caught him. He had a handgun with an extended magazine, according to the criminal complaint. The gun had been stolen days earlier. Okay. Uh, he, in agreement with prosecutors, he pled no contest, found guilty to stealing the gun. Um, case was set for a status hearing on Friday. Well, okay, at least you know he's going to show up because you know where the guy is. But, I mean, I, I again, you can talk about all the crimes you want, but when you look at somebody who's arrested over and over and over and over and over again, and he's got guns and he's got dope, and you just continue to turn around and put him back out on the street, <sighs> really. Um, let's talk to Karen in Wauwatosa. Karen, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Karen. Jeff, um, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this has been something that I, you know, think about, and I find it very frustrating that I can't get any information on right. the Milwaukee County judges. I mean, right. the Journal Sentinel, how, very, very seldom do I ever see right. that they name the judge. Right, unless it's a really high-profile case like this, like the story they have now, that they are. But, yes, in general, you never hear this. And with juveniles, what's even more frustrating, Karen, is because juvenile records are largely sealed, you you can't find the details of what the juvenile did, which in general, in many cases, is just a horror show because, again, we want to protect the privacy of the juvenile. So it's only when they do something finally bad enough to get their butts in adult court, then you, you find out what they did in adult court. My, my guess is the, the record for this one kid looks like a horror show. That would just be my guess, but we don't know because we protect their privacy rights yes that would be my my guess too but i think jeff that maybe one thing we could try is for you with the with the reach that you right. have to name names to name some name let's quote tom barrett name the name <laughs> i think that's i think so and i think that i think that is fair and i think that that needs to, to be you know what happens but again what, what you need to understand is this is this is a problem with the system because this type of stuff goes on all the time my guess is when you find and it's a guess when you find the majority of the people that get arrested for carjacking or for car theft or for strong-armed robbery or for you know felon in possession of firearms or all these types of things my guess is the vast majority of them have been through the system on multiple occasions and are probably either out on bail or on some form of release, 
or are awaiting some sort of charges for something else. Um, it's just it is just an ongoing nightmare. And again, I appreciate let's have tougher penalties. I, I'm, I'm all in favor of that. But but unless you get judges that start doing their jobs and looking out towards protecting the general public, this kind of stuff is always going to happen. It's 1049 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1052, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, master magician and illusionist David Blaine is coming to Milwaukee. He'll take the stage at the Riverside Theater on June 19th. You could be there to witness the magic. Tune in today to Scafidi and Billstad's 4 at 1 for your chance to score a pair of tickets. I, I will, you know, one of the callers was alluding to, you know, back, you know, when you were a federal prosecutor, you know how screwed up the system is. I, I will say this. We had... Um, back then, you had federal magistrates. Now they call them magistrate judges, but they're they're kind of like junior judges. They're sort of like court commissioners. They're hired by. They're not appointed by the president. They're not appointed by the president. Approved by the Senate. They're, they're hired, and and we had, you know, we had a couple magistrate judges who, I, I got along with well, but they were real lefties, and they they would on a routine basis, in my opinion, they would set ridiculously low bails, and I mean I knew. That if if these bails stood, you know, for we were talking about like foreign drug dealers and they're who, who, you know, yeah, do you want to do 25 years in U.S. prison for being a drug trafficker and a bad guy? Or do you want to just, you know, pay some money, get out of jail? And free? I always used to kid the U.S. Marshals for some of these guys, you know, once they got back to their cell after the bail had been set, make them turn around and take a picture of their backside because that's the last time, you know, when they're walking out of that jail, that backside is the last you're going to see of them. But, you know, I used to, I had this reputation, I would routinely appeal these magistrate decisions on, on bail. It, it became, there was one magistrate in particular who, who I, I, I like on a personal level, see him once in a while, who, I, I mean, I think he had to get footprints from my from my shoes for going over his head, climbing over his back to go over his head. Because, you know, as a prosecutor, I, I at least if the guy ran and did something bad, I at least wanted to be on record that I had done everything I possibly could to keep this person in jail done everything you possibly could and as a prosecutor there's only so much you can do i mean i think that might be something too that the da's office needs to look at when you have these court commissioners or judges who set these ridiculously low bails time and time again to start routinely appealing them at least to then bring the matter to the public's attention and my guess is that you will find that there are some court commissioners who are much more liberal in the terms of setting these ridiculously low bails and it's fair to call them out speaking of calling people out I told the story a couple weeks ago i was driving out to the west side to visit my brother and sister it was a saturday night um and i was driving down silver spring so i'm going westbound on silver spring i swear it was like it was like you're at the Daytona 500. I mean, this is 7 o'clock at night. I watched cars with tinted windows driving in the, essentially the bicycle lane, passing us at 75 and 80 miles an hour. No license plates, swinging in and out. I mean, it was it was a free-for-all. Got to a stoplight at 92nd and a Silver Spring. So I'm in the right lane. There's a car next to me in the left lane. There's a stoplight. There's people walking in the crosswalk. This is like 7 o'clock at night. The guy next to me, he stopped at the red light. He looks both ways and floors it and blasts through the red light. It is what for the grace of God that he didn't hit somebody that was in this intersection. I, I was thinking about this because Channel 6 had a story about how 
You got a guy named Devante Coleman, who's 20 years old. He was allegedly involved in a hit and run last August, going 70 miles an hour, driving a driving a Cadillac, going uh, 23rd and Fond du Lac, blows through a again a controlled intersection, slams into 22 year old man who happens to be in the intersection, and then the, the Cadillac just drives off. Uh, they find the Cadillac abandoned, uh, you know, a couple miles away. And, of course, then they start their investigation. They've ultimately been able to trace it back to this guy. But but the, these hit and runs, this is just another Saturday night in the city of Milwaukee. And I, I do sort of wonder what it's going to take to to stop these type of things. And what I think it's really going to take is just aggressive policing. You know, for goodness sakes, for the police officers, ride I will be willing to do a ride along. Let's drive down Silver Spring at seven or Hampton or North Avenue or whatever. Let's let's drive down some of these streets, you know, at seven o'clock on you know any given evening, and and let's because unless my experience is atypical, my guess is you're going to see the cars driving eighty miles an hour with the tinted windows that nobody can see in. My guess is you're going to see pedestrians almost getting hit on a regular basis. But let's do some of these drive-alongs and then ask the question: Why aren't these people being pulled over? Um, you pull them over. My guess is it's probably better than not that a lot of these cars are stolen or whatever. But you know, if we're going to crack down on hit and runs, it starts with cracking down on all the reckless driving that's out there, and I think we all end up seeing it. It's 1058. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In less than 10 minutes, a dad shames his son on national TV, and some people are unhappy. Stick around. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yep, opening day coverage starting at 830 on Monday. A little bit of drama because they've changed the way you have to pick up credentials now. It used to be that somebody could just pick them up for you, and now they've got these new rules. And problem is, I'm not around. <laughs> I'm, I'm on an airplane tomorrow morning at 620 in the morning, and I'm not coming back till Sunday. So who knows? But that, that's another. You want to tune in 830 Monday morning because... TMJ will be on the air, but you never know exactly what, what that's going to be. But the schedule, if it all works out, is I'm supposed to be in the dugout for opening day. We did this last year, and it's an absolute blast. Um, I've been doing the opening day show for a number of years now, and we have a number of the Brewers players. We have a lot of folks from the front office. Uh, typically, I have not seen the final lineup yet, but typically we're joined by Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre, Mark Atanasio, the owner of the Brewers. Um, just a, a lot of great people, and we all get you into the spirit. And, and, of course, the excitement, like I say, is you want to tune in because I'm actually in the dugout. We're doing these interviews, which means there's baseballs flying around. You just you just never know what could happen. It's a lot of fun. I'm very much looking forward to it and be interested. I'm sure we'll be able to work that out. But it's in the category of if I was going to describe my life over the last, like, month and a half, it's in the category of nothing is easy. <laughs> it's just like not, for whatever reason, nothing nothing is easy lately. But we'll, I'm sure we will work it all out. Hey, check WTMJ.com. Our, um, if you go to our mobile app page, you can download the podcast. I know a lot of people are doing that. In addition, we have, and we're going to tie into this in about a half hour, every week, a different WTMJ 
voice, this time it's, it's me, is going to um, do a feature we call Six Things. For me, this is, this week it was like six places to visit in the U.S. We're going to tie that into Pop Culture Corner a little bit later on. And in addition, new addition to our guest lineup for Insight 2017, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel, is the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee. We have other guests that we're going to be rolling out as well. Of course, it's headlined by Governor Walker, Bob Babish, and Don Smiley from Summerfest, three justices from the state Supreme Court, a cast of thousands. Tickets are on sale now. It's 20 bucks. Come on out. It's a great venue. Wayne Larravee alone. Governor Walker, Wayne Larravee, Bob Babish, Don Smiley, any one of those people is worth coming out just to see. And you can see them all on one one show. It's going to be tremendous. So that is April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. Tickets are on sale now. All right. I saw this on ESPN the other night, and now the story has gone viral. Um, there's a, a dad, a man. He is at the Cleveland Cavaliers Charlotte Hornets game in Charlotte. And, you know, this is last Friday. He's there, and while he's on TV, he holds up a sign, and the sign says, Thomas. Get your grades back up, and next time you'll be here, love Dad. And it's got one of the – it's a professionally made sign, and it's got the emoji with a um, – like a, 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 a the face with a tear. So, Thomas, get your grades back up, and next time you'll be here, love Dad. So this gets a, a lot of – gets a lot of attention. Apparently, what was happening is Dad was on, on like a, on a road trip because he shows up – on Sunday, at the Houston Rockets um, Thunder, the um, Oklahoma City Thunder game, same guy. So he was in. He was at the Charlotte Cleveland game. So he shows up two days later. This time he's at the Rockets Thunder game um, in Houston, and he's got a sign. This is a different one. The sign says, "Thomas, can you hear me now? Student, then athlete, son. In that order. Love, Dad." So this gets national attention as well. Now, again, the signs, they're professionally produced. They have that crying emoji to nail the father's point home. Um, The kid, of course, you know, they don't have his full name, so it's not like you put him out there with a sandwich board. But now this is generating all this national attention about who the kid is. And, you know, was the father out of line for publicly shaming the kid? Because of his bad grades. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let's tee this up. The father, okay, he's now publicly embarrassed his kid. Didn't have last names and stuff. But the reality is lots of people probably know who he is. And therefore they know who the kid is. Is this, was the dad out of line for this type of public shaming? Or was this about as good a way as you can imagine to get your point across? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Hondo is lining up the calls. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1114, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If I could describe this in four words, my four words would be dad of the year. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, did the father go too far? He's on an NBA road trip, apparently. 
His son would have accompanied him, but he's got bad grades. He's holding up signs. That, and it's on national TV. Thomas, get your grades back up, and next time you'll be here, love dad. Thomas, can you hear me now? Student, then athlete, son, in that order, love dad. All right, dad is getting some criticism for publicly shaming the kid. What do you think? Michael in Janesville. Michael, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You know, the father's on the right track. You know, there's this thing that used to be done a lot, well, back in my, you know, me growing up. It's called tough love. Yep. You know, and sometimes embarrassing your child is a good thing. I mean, he didn't put the kid's last name. So, I mean, right. hey, maybe there's 10 Thomases out there that need to get their grades up and stuff. Right. But there's nothing wrong with what he did. I mean, you can't sit and keep rewarding these children for not doing what they're supposed to do. Right, and you're trying to get the kids' attention. And I don't know the guy's backstory, but my guess is this was not something that just happened overnight. My guess is this is a dad who'd been trying to tell the kid, "Hey, you got to study. There's more to, to there's more to going to school than just sports or whatever." And there's going to be consequences, including one of the consequences is we're going on this NBA road trip. But you know what? If you're not going, if you're not your grades aren't up, you're not going. I mean, oh. he, he got the kids' attention. Oh, exactly. You know, but. You know, it's sad, though, because we're in this era to where it's like education doesn't matter. You know, it's like it's all about sports. And, hey, if you're going to go to college, you know, go to college, pursue that, you know, that sport, whatever right. you want to get into. But, you know, put your degree last. So, and which is just horrible because if it doesn't pan out for you as a professional player, now you have nothing to fall back yeah. on. Right. So, and, and, and the truth is, for most for most kids... They're, they're not going to make it to the NBA. They're not going to make it to Major League Baseball. No. They're not going to get drafted by the NFL. Most kids, most kids, their sport, their athletic career is going to end after high school. A small percentage might go on to play sports in college. And then just a teeny tiny percentage makes a living doing this. No, you're right. You need to get an education. Oh, exactly. And the biggest, you know, the biggest thing is life isn't fair and life is tough. And there's a guy that just a wise man that always says, Wear a helmet. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Mike. Wagner's rule of life number one: life is tough. You know, get a helmet. Well, I mean, again, I just, I, I, I appreciate that. You know, we we have this snowflake syndrome that's out there, where okay, you you can't embarrass your kids, you can't do anything to call them out. Well, all right, I've. I've always been one of these people who believes that, all right, a little bit of public shaming, as long as it's done in a responsible sort of fashion, I think that, that that's good. And I, I actually think I think this dad was incredibly, incredibly clever. Let's see, our text line exploding here. Hats off to dad. Um, another one. I don't think dad is out of line at all. I don't know the guy or his kid, but it seems way, a good way to get the message to the kid. Yeah, it, it's one thing to say, you're not going to be able to go on the trip. Remember, I told you you weren't. But it's another thing to say, plus I'm going to call you out. Uh, Christine from Greenfield writes, go, dad, go. Uh, another text. What the dad did is fine. Society would be better off if we all got a healthy dose of shame now and then. Now, right, at some point in time, once you get to a certain point, you can't, there, there's some, you can't shame somebody who is without shame. But my guess is, again, high school kid, student athlete who wants more than anything else to go on one of these trips or something, road trip, seeing, oh, my God, there is dad in the stands and he's holding up the sign and it's on Sports Central and this whole thing is going viral. Well, I think... Who knows if the kid is going to buckle down and study, but Dad certainly got his message across, and he gets credit for doing that. It's 1121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
It's 1123, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to do a Wednesday edition of Pop Culture Corner. I'm taking a couple of days off, and it does tie in to this new feature that we have at WTMJ.com. We're going to be doing this once a week. It's called Six Things, and different WTMJ personalities are going to be asked to list six things. We get to pick what they are, and then uh, there's a slideshow. Uh, to me, today, to me today, it was uh, six things, six places, my favorite places to visit in the U.S. So you can check that out now, and I'll give you a hint. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about in our pop culture corner segment. Get to know the people behind the headlines at Insight 2017, hosted by me. See Governor Scott Walker, Summerfest Don Smiley, Bob Babish, members of the state Supreme Court, Wayne Larravee. We'll have more guests that we're going to be announcing in the next day or two. Tickets on sale right now at WTMJ.com. That, like I was saying, you know, any any one of those people, up close, intimate sort of things, that's worth the price of admission. But we put everybody together. It's the Country Springs Hotel, Wednesday, April 19th. It is going to be a lot of fun. All right. Here's an interesting test that is going on. Um, President Trump, of course, one of his signature campaign promises is he wanted he wanted. He wants to build a wall along the Mexican border, an actual wall. As a matter of fact, they're taking bids on the wall right now. Now, during the campaign, President Trump said, don't worry, Americans are not going to pay for this wall. Mexico will pay for it. To which Mexico, like the, the former president of Mexico, well, I can't repeat on the radio what he said to that, but you can you can get the idea. Mexico says there's no blanking way that we're we're paying for for this wall. So there's now been a shift, and President Trump is saying, no, we're still going to build the wall, and Mexico's still going to pay for it. But I acknowledge that we might have to pay. F- we we got we might have to front the money, but trust me, we're going to get the the dough back. Well, um, it, it's really it, it's getting to be very interesting because the there is. There is a the, there is a government shutdown that is looming. You know, we, we've heard these stories before, but the, the the government is about ready to run out of money, and unless there are some spending bills, either unless there's a budget that gets passed, or unless there are spending bills that end up getting approved to try to allow the government to continue to operate, the, the government is going to be out of money. Now, some people. Some politicians, including some from the Freedom Caucus, the same folks who ended up killing health care reform, thank you very much, um, they're the one that was said sarcastically, by the way, if sarcasm doesn't work on the radio, those were the same ones um, who, who killed health care reform. They're apparently perhaps willing to draw a line in the sand and shut down the government. They've been threatening to try to shut down the government on multiple occasions without even caring the fact that typically if the government gets shut down, because Republicans who control Congress refuse to fund the government, the, it is the Republicans that end up taking the heat for this. And the Democrats know it, so they generally feel no desire to cooperate. And the members of the Freedom Caucus who do this, well, they're, they're the most conservative members, and they come from the most conservative districts, so they're not worried. They, they can be ideologues, and there's almost no electoral accountability. Well, anyhow, um, the, the estimates are that the, the this to spend the upfront money on on the wall is going to be together with the added spending for defense it's 33 billion dollars for the money for the wall and for the defense and what republicans are saying is that the request for the wall is likely not to be included in any sort of stopgap 
budget plan. You know, we're 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 not going to put this funding in for this. What we're going to do is we're hoping again. It's April twenty eighth when the government theoretically runs out of money. Um, but we're in these stopgap spending things. We're not going to fund the wall. I mean, maybe we'll be able to fund the wall later on, but we're not going to be able to fund the wall now. And apparently, you know, what's happening is the Trump administration is sending signals that, hey, I I promised the wall. And I expect in any sort of stopgap funding measures, I want to get on with this. So, I mean, I want money in there to proceed to do this. So you've now got Congress saying, well, you know, we're – we're not willing to take this up. We doubt that we're going to take it up, and we're certainly not necessarily in a position to put in all this extra money. And then there's the question about whether or not if that money isn't in there and doesn't reflect the priorities, will the president refuse to sign the continuing resolution? Will we actually end up shutting down the government on April 28th? And, of course, shutting down the government, it just it gives you a headache when you even talk about that because – what typically happens is even if you furlough a bunch of federal employees, they still end up getting paid. You know, so once they get called back to work, they get all the they get all the back pay that they would have otherwise earned. So all they do is get essentially what is a vacation that is delayed pay. Um, some people think is politically advantageous to be willing to go up to the last moment and to shut the government down in an effort to try to make political points. My concern has always been. Who are you trying to make political points with? And it looks like we might have another one of these games of of chicken that's rolling out there. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it might involve spending over the wall. And I will tell you this, as somebody who's never been a fan of building the wall in the first place, because it just doesn't make any sense to me. I understand there might be some areas where you want to put a wall up, but building a wall along a 2,000-mile Texas uh, border between the United States and Mexico, where a lot of it is involved the Rio Grande, a lot of it involves taking private property from thousands of citizens. It means you're going to be tied up in court over eminent domain litigation for years and years. To me, it would just be there's other ways that you could accomplish what you want to accomplish. But shutting down the government over financing for this wall to me would be, regardless of how you feel about the wall, would be absolutely crazy. Yet, um, there's a lot of crazy things that are going on. Stay tuned. It's 1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. This time, every Thursday, we do a segment I call Pop Culture Corner. We put away a lot of the heavy lifting and we talk about, oh, just some kind of lighter stuff. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's entertainment issues. Um, sometimes it's cars. Just what, whatever kind of tickles my fancy in a particular week that I hope will tickle yours as well. Well, um, this week, because I'm gone the next two days, I'm uh, I, ever since I started the new shift, haven't had any time off. So I'm I'm going to um, take a couple of days off on vacation, and that caused me to think about okay, different places you go on vacation. Now it ties into something that we're doing in connection with our digital folks. Um, every week, d- d- different WTMJ personality is going to be putting up a, a a top six, and you get to pick what your top six is. For me this week, and this is you can see it at WTMJ.com. Top six places to visit in the United States. So that brings me to Pop Culture Corner for today. I thought we'd have a little bit of fun. Send me off on my vacation. Let me ask you, okay, your top place to visit in the United States, the place that maybe you've been to, maybe you went to it as a kid, 
and you just always wanted to go back. Maybe it's your go-to place that you always go to. Your top place to visit for a vacation in the United States. This is also kind of a public service right now because I know a lot of people are planning vacations for the summer. Spring break is coming up. Your top place to visit. And you can see my top six places at WTMJ.com. I wrote a little description of each. For example, number six on my list, Maui, Hawaii. Now, on the way to Maui, stop over in Oahu, visit Pearl Harbor. After that, head to Maui and see what Hawaii is all about. Tropical weather, stunning views, and some of the most spectacular golf anywhere. Your top vacation destination, your top place to visit in the United States, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if that wasn't enough, you also can communicate with the program via Facebook Live. Right now, we are... You have turned on the lights in the studio. We are live streaming this segment on Facebook Live as well, so you can watch it. Your favorite vacation destination, um, Troy says. The okay, Troy says the Black Hills. A lot of other places out west he hasn't been to yet. Yeah, the Black Hills, Mount Rushmore, spectacular. Gail on Facebook Live says Niagara Falls. What's yours? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I always advise people in these segments to call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up. Also, you know, go with your first instinct. And, and it doesn't matter if somebody else has said it. That's fine. There's no pride of authorship when it comes to this. 414-799-1620. Your top place to visit in the U.S. Number six on my list was... Maui. Let's start with Deb in Greenfield. Deb, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Gotta be Yellowstone. Tell me why. Oh my gosh. The, just the scenery. I mean, I go to a lot of national parks to do photography, but the animals, the grizzly bears, I mean, the Tetons is right up there. You hate, most of the time you have to go through the Tetons to get there if you're coming from the south or the west, but right. um, stunning. Just it, it never, it's always changing. You know, how, you see the grizzlies, the black bear, the... How many times have you been there? Animal. How many times have you been uh, there, would you say? Four times, and I'm going again in June. Oh, cool. To see, hopefully see some of the baby animals that are born. Cool. So, oh, it, yeah. it, and, and it's great hiking, too. I mean, just if you're a hiker, it's tremendous hiking at Yellowstone. Yeah, and the prismatic, you know, the geysers, the prismatic um, ponds, everything like that. It, it, to see it, it's almost like you're standing there going, is this real? I mean... <laughs> Right. If, if, if you ever get out there, do it, because it is stunning. Thanks for the call, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line on our Facebook Live page. Um, Paul writes the Grand Canyon. Marty writes Maui. He's with That was number six on my list. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, we've got uh, Paul in New Berlin. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. How are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you. Your favorite place? I definitely like the Grand Canyon. I'm a real avid amateur photographer, and some of the best photography I've ever gotten a chance to uh, engage in has uh, been out there. The sunsets are phenomenal, and the scenery, you you just can't beat it with a stick. Yeah, and it's... um And depending on what... Have you been there at all different times of the year, or just at the same time? I have been there at a couple of different times. Um, I've been there when there's snow on the ground and it's cooler because of the higher elevation and I've been there when it's warmer and, and just really pleasant. Right. And, uh, yeah. I, you never get tired of that. No, I think, I mean, the, the Grand Canyon, it, it's, it's one of those places where, you know, if you've seen photographs of it, it, if you've seen like TV things, it doesn't do it justice. Okay. On our talk and text line, Christina writes, Kiowa Island, Charleston, South Carolina. I've never been to Kiowa Island. I have been to Charleston. Charleston is 
again, I mean, the Antebellum South, one of my very, very favorite places to be. Um, another one on the text line, Old Route 66, sad and beautiful at the same time. I, I've always wanted to go on a road trip, and I know there's a lot of books that talk about, you know, Route 66, you know, which winds from Chicago to L.A. What's that, the song? I mean, Route 66 doesn't exist as it existed like 40 or 50 years ago. But there's all these books that can kind of take you on what the route was or is close to it. I've always wanted to do a road trip like that. Maybe maybe someday when I have a little bit more time. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's Pop Culture Corner. We're talking about your favorite place to visit in the United States. Um, we're also live streaming on Facebook. We're back with more calls, texts, Facebook comments in just a couple minutes. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1140, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1144, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, we've got my top six places that are posted at WTMJ.com. Number five for me, San Diego, California. Perfect weather year-round. Easy access to the ocean. A great zoo and a thriving cultural scene. Make it clear why my niece is enrolling as a freshman at San Diego State next fall. Go Aztecs. Go to San Diego in late July and August and catch some of the finest horse racing in the world at the legendary Del Mar Racetrack. Um, Facebook Live. Uh, let's see. Bill says, going to Seattle, Washington. Going to get on a whale tour boat. Um, Donna says, I know Maui was mentioned a few times, but still had to post. My favorite uh, relaxing vacation with my hubby. Our 25th anniversary occurred here. You go, girl. Rick says, Savannah, Georgia. I love Savannah, Georgia. If I had stayed in the U.S. Attorney's Office, my dream job would have been, they had a satellite office in, in Savannah, Georgia. It would have been just like Charleston, South Carolina. Savannah, just antebellum south. If you ever get a chance to go, go. Let's talk to Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, good morning. Hey, Jeff. My favorite is one of your website selections, which is Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, I I never get tired of Washington, D.C. It's just there's so much to see. There's so much to do. There's so much history. And a lot of it is free. I mean, all the Smithsonian's are free. National Gallery of Art is free. It's a great place to wander around in. Yeah, and if someone can get there, I think if he or she would be doing themselves a huge uh, service educationally. What's your favorite, parents- what's your favorite place to visit in D.C.? Oh, um, I think my favorite was the FBI building, uh-huh. um, but there, but the uh, White House and the Smithsonian right. get honorable mentions. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. I, I will tell you, I have never it, the if you stand at at the base of the Lincoln Memorial, and that that is it's an incredible structure, and then you you, you turn to the right, and there's this path, and the path takes you down to the Vietnam Veterans Wall. I have probably been there 30 times, and I, I never fail to get choked up. It, it's just one of the most moving, I, and I don't know why, it just it touches me, it speaks to me, uh, and the various Smithsonian's and the National Gallery of Art. And what is so cool is it's all within, I mean, it's all walkable. I mean, once you get down to that area, everything is together. And, and like I say, all the Smithsonian's and National Gallery of Art, which you can spend an entire day at, and I'm by no means an art aficionado, but it's just amazing. All of that, it's, it, it's free. It's just in, incredible. I love I love Washington, D.C. Um, let's see, 414-799-1620. That's Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Um, on our text line, uh, Bill says, Smoky Mountains, Franklin, North Carolina. We're rock hounds, and we mine for rubies and sapphires. Let's talk to Gene in Westfield. Hi, Gene. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you um, think? I'd like to um, talk about Albuquerque in October. Um, it's sort of an experience. 
Um, they have the International Balloon Fiesta, where there are upwards of 600 hot air balloons, uh, and it's just a sight to see. And around Albuquerque, there's a lot to do. Mm-hmm. In fact, it ties into your desire to drive on Route 66. Right. <laughs> um, southwest of Albuquerque, they have the Singing Highway that's National Geographic created. Right. And when, when you drive on it, it plays America the Beautiful. Right. The, and so that's really fun. And then you can go north and see the ancient Pueblo dwellings in the mountains. Um, Los Alamos is there. It's just a, a unique place to be in October. One of my, my forget one of my, my best friend and his son went there. There, there's some, there, there's some rich guy who supposedly, who buried a treasure somewhere. And there's oh, all yeah. these different clues. Yeah. They went there for a weekend, like on a treasure hunt. But they flew into Albuquerque and then, you know, went up to Santa Fe and stuff. But again, hiking and all. The other thing is, Gene, I'm a fan of the TV show Breaking Bad, so I understand there's all these like Breaking Bad tours that run through Albuquerque and stuff. Right, right, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And and the balloon fiesta is a once in a lifetime thing. I think everybody should see it. It's amazing. There, there you go. Thanks to call forward. Um, and, and actually. With, with all due respect to Gene, Santa Fe is uh, of between Santa Fe and Albuquerque. Santa Fe is, is just spectacular. Albuquerque is a little bit bigger city and has more going on, but Santa Fe just absolutely tremendous. Let's talk to Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. We're leaving shortly. We go to North Carolina, Southern Pines, Pinehurst area. Okay. We go every spring and every fall because we are golfers. Uh-huh. And we we golf in that area, not necessarily at Pinehurst because it's way too expensive. Right. But there's like 40 to 50 golf courses around there, and we have the best time. The weather is absolutely perfect because golf hasn't started here yet. Right. Or in the fall, um, you know, we're extending the the golfing. And then it's close enough. We even take a day to go to Charleston, mm-hmm. or we've been to Savannah. So we love North Carolina. Yeah, the um, I, I haven't spent much time in North Carolina. I've spent more time in South Carolina. I, I have a group of guys that used to go to Bertle Beach every year. I, I haven't gone for several years, but it was the same sort of thing. You know, you go for a golfing weekend where you go out on Thursday and you just do nothing but, but play golf and eat and drink beer from Thursday you know, until <laughs> Sunday. Because, again, they, they've got just so many great golf courses that are out there, and, and there's some big name ones, but a lot of the, the, there's a lot of affordable golf courses and out there not- as well. Right, they're not expensive. We did the Myrtle Beach thing because we were told, well, go to Myrtle Beach so you can really golf and whatever. We went there in the spring. We froze our butts off. <laughs> and, and I it, would never go back. I mean, we're, it, it, that's crazy. It was crazy. Well, you probably, in fairness, you probably just caught it on a <laughs> bad weekend. But no, thanks. I mean, I remember I was supposed to go um, end of January. I have a very dear friend who has a place out in Desert Mountain, which is a little bit north of Phoenix. And I'm very generous, and we were going to play golf all weekend. And I'm I, early on in the week. I'm, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the forecast, and it was going to be like forty some degrees and a cold rain. It was actually it was one of those weird weekends where it was actually warmer here. It was in the fifties here. Um, let's see. Jason writes: Bend, Oregon, micro beer, twenty six different micro breweries in one town. That has an appeal. Alan writes, Scotts, this is all in our Facebook Live segment. Alan writes, Scottsdale, Arizona, amazing hiking, golf, food, and early Brewers baseball. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I tell you, that's tremendous. Nathan says, the Wisconsin Dells. All right. Mark writes, Glacier National Park, incredible, or anywhere in the uh, Rocky Mountain Range. Danny in West Dallas, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Danny. 
Yeah, how you doing? Real well. Okay, your your favorite place to vacation in the U.S.? Well, you know, it, it'd be easy to say Disney World or the Grand Canyon or something like that. But i got to say, the most fun I've had at least recently was in Brainerd, Minnesota. Okay, <laughs> okay. tell me why. Why Brainerd, Minnesota? Well, for one thing, I grew up with a strange set of parents that we would take a vacation every year driving somewhere. Right. And we had to stop at every roadside attraction. Okay. So, you know, the largest flying plane in the world, seen it. Right. Only house in the world made out of styrofoam, seen it. <laughs> Um, biggest, biggest ball, ball of string. Of yeah, right. Yeah, okay. There's two of them. Okay. One is in Kansas that was started by a lone weirdo, but then when he died, the city took over and built more on it. The one in Minnesota is a true lone genius. <laughs> the biggest ball of twine. Thanks for calling. Now, see, I appreciate it. This is the kind of creativity that you love. Some of us are talking about golf or, or going to, like, Alaska or things like that. He's talking about wanting to see the biggest ball of twine. Uh, let's see. Lori writes, uh, Bristol, Rhode Island. I participated in their Independence Day celebration in a drum and bugle corps. Only town in the U.S. to be allowed to paint the stripe down the main street, red, white, and blue. I will go back someday. Yeah, that's always – see, that's the thing. There's so many great places in the U.S. that if you haven't had a chance to see, I encourage you to do that. Um, another one of our texts, Upper Michigan Lighthouse, um, searching is the best. Um, that is always a very cool thing, too. On our WTMJ text, on our Facebook Live page, a lot of people continue to participate. Um, Laguna Beach, California, that's what Jack writes. Um, that's that is absolutely tremendous. Iron River, Michigan. Fresh air, great scenery, very relaxing in the summertime. That is it as well. Now, as part of my other six things, where you're going to have to go to the website to see them all, but uh, number six was Maui, Hawaii. Number five was uh, San Diego, California. Number four, San Antonio, Texas. Um, stay downtown. Enjoy the river walk. Um, then you walk a few steps up, and you're at the Alamo. I, I, I just can't describe this to people. It's like being on you know, Wisconsin Avenue, and you come out of Boston store, and you look across the street, and there's the convention center. In San Antonio, you, you come up from the Riverwalk, and there there is the Alamo in the heart of downtown San, uh, San Antonio. It, it is just incredible. Last time I was there, I drove the people I was with nuts because I kept wanting to go over to this. And it's just, you see how small it is, and just, I mean, the sense of history is overwhelming. And then if you want history... Right around the corner from the Alamo, literally right around the corner, is the Menger Hotel, which is where Teddy Roosevelt formed the Rough Riders. Um, so my advice is check out the Alamo, walk into the Menger Hotel, sit in the bar where Teddy Roosevelt formed the Rough Riders, have yourself a gin and tonic, and toast the 29th President of the United States. So those are three of my six. If you go to WTMJ.com and our six things, you can see the other, uh, my top three places to visit as well. Outstanding stuff. All right. Wish we had a little bit more time. You can continue the conversation on our Facebook Live page. People are still posting things as well. I got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what Steve Scafidi, who's back from his vacation, and Eric Bilstadt have on their minds. Stick around. It's 1154. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1157, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He's back, rested, refreshed. 
but not a newly minted millionaire, Steve Scafidi. I don't know how rested I am either. Oh, okay, all right. yeah, well, he's back then. <laughs> I, I am back from Vegas. Got in last night. had a Had a fun trip, but it started with a lot of crazy things happening, both at the Bellagio. And you were at the Bellagio when I was the shooting the, was there. Huh? I was actually escorted out of the building at one point. So. We're, we're certainly going to talk about that, and just it, it just was a weird Vegas experience because I, I always see a lot of security there. Right. This year I didn't see a lot of security, and then of course all this stuff happens. Huh. So it was a weird it was a weird thing, but we had fun. The weather was outstanding. You can't beat seventies and and sunny in the in the winter. So. Do you know what stood out to me when he was telling the story about how they cleared the place out? Right. All the dealers stayed at the table, watching yeah. the money. And watching stuff. the yeah. money. Watching the money. Yeah. What's and, more important? <laughs> well, I guess the money. And you, right. asked, you asked me the question whether they had guns. I don't think the dealers have no, guns. No, dealers don't have guns. So, no, but, no. but, hey, you are t- if there's you're, the, a, you're going down with the ship. Yeah, you're like the captain, they huh? To, they had to have been told this is what you do when, when there's a, a warning like that. You stay by the table. You watch the chips. I remember I just, that caught my ear at the MGM several years back when there was a Mike Tyson fight, and afterwards a lot of the clientele kind of bum-rushed the casino and were turning over tables and things like that. Yeah. It was a real... I mean, like a mini riot, and there, and of course everybody's like trying to because the, the chips are money, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. That, and sometimes they're now not when I play, but when Scafidi plays. I mean, lots of money lots I'm of sure chips. involved yes. there, right? That's it. Right. Um, okay, um, I am out of time. Scafidi and Bill's stat starts. I, as I was mentioning, take, I'm taking a couple days off. I will be back. 8.30 Monday morning. It is our opening day broadcast. I'm scheduled to be broadcasting from the dugout at Miller Park. Looking forward to that. Have a great couple days. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.